message of hope and that there is a deliverer and that there is a savior. Amen. Amen. Psalm chapter 55 is a unique psalm. It's got a complex structure to it. It's, it feels a little disjointed at times. It's, it's a psalm of David. There's words in the original language in this psalm that are not used anywhere else in the Old Testament. And so when that happens, it kind of poses a difficulty to anybody that's tr translating it into English uh, because they don't have something to compare it to sometimes. And so as a result, if you're reading a more modern English translation, there might be some differences because they have trouble with this. And the reason they have trouble with it is because of the word choices that are used by David, the songwriter, because this psalm comes from a place of deep anguish. And when we're in that place of deep anguish and, and, and when we're calling out to God in the way that he is in this song, uh, sometimes we use words that, that we don't usually use, don't we? Sometimes our vocabulary changes. And I think that this, this psalm and, that we're going to read together is reflective of that. If you need to be seated, you may. I'm going to read uh, about 20 verses, so if you can't stand uh, for that long, you, you absolutely can feel free to be seated. But if you'd like to remain standing, you certainly may. Psalm 55 in the New King James Version says this, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. For it is not an enemy that reproaches me. Then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you. He's not talking to God, but he's shifting now and directing his words towards the one that has betrayed him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. Let death seize them. That's his way of saying let them die a quick and instantaneous death. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell. For wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God. And the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud. And he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. For there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old. Because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. He has put forth his hands against those who were at peace with him. He has broken his covenant. He's talking about the one who has betrayed him. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Verse 22 is the verse that I want to probably focus the most on this morning. It says this, cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. 
He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. But I will trust in you. I want to read that key verse, the 22nd verse, one more time. And then I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. I want to minister on this Sunday morning from this topic and this thought, the burden bearer, the burden bearer. If you would, set your Bibles down and let's lift our hands and go to the Lord in prayer right now. In the name of Jesus, from the front of this room to the back, I pray, God, against any hindrance that would stand in the way of the delivery of your word and to any heart that's gathered here under the sound of my voice. Lord, you've already anointed and blessed your word. And God, I pray that you would help me to be a conduit and that, Lord, you would let our ears hear what the Spirit would say to the church. Lord, I pray that somebody that's downtrodden and in pain, Lord, that they would feel the redeeming power of your Spirit. Lord, I pray that somebody who has things swirling and a storm in their heart this morning, Lord, that they would feel the upward call of the Holy Ghost to that place of healing and peace and trust in you. Lord, I pray that in faith over this assembly in the name of Jesus. Why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord right now and give him praise. You may be seated. The burden bearer. I want to be clear this morning from the outset, and I want to make sure I communicate this. People may fail you, but God never will. People may abandon you, but God will never forsake you. People may forget about you, but you are never off of God's mind. People may seek to undermine you and array themselves against you, but God will always work for your good. Psalm 55 is actually written while David is being routed and pursued out of the capital city of Jerusalem. There was an uprising that was occurring in the kingdom. This is later in David's life. There was a coup, a takeover, that was being led and orchestrated by his own son, Absalom. Absalom had sat in the gate of the city and talked with all of the influencers and the ordinary people for months. All of the merchants, the farmers the leaders of tribes and family groups, the government officials, the priests, the teachers, the travelers, the religious pilgrims who were coming to Jerusalem to worship had all passed by Absalom. Cases were being brought to Absalom. Problems were being presented to him. And he sat in the king's gate. He sat in the gate of the city for two years. And what he was doing was building influence and a network. He was undermining the authority of his father, the king. And the scriptures testify this way. It says that Absalom dwelt for two full years in Jerusalem and did not see the king's face. Absalom had turned slowly, turned the hearts of the people toward himself. Absalom was building up a coalition, a support network, he had positioned himself between King David and the people as an arbiter, as a broker. He was winning allies and he was brokering deals to win favor with key people, Brother Uzel. 
And the time was right for Absalom to orchestrate the overthrow of his father's administration and his father's government. And so he traveled to a town called Hebron. And he sent spies throughout the land. And he was finally pulling the trigger on this conspiracy that he was putting into motion. And he told the spies that when such and such happens, when I arrive at that place, blow the trumpet and declare, Absalom is king. Psalm 55 is written in response in that moment whenever David is living through what Absalom was putting together. The theme in this psalm, if it isn't already evident to you through our reading together, is betrayal. David is feeling those feelings of betrayal. And the betrayal that David is feeling, the betrayal that he's feeling is not just that of Absalom. And I would submit to you this morning that the feeling of betrayal that David is writing about in this particular psalm is not about Absalom at all, but it's about a different individual. It is the betrayal and the treason of his closest counselor, a man named Ahithophel. You can try saying that one for yourself. I practiced it. Ahithophel. You can read about Ahithophel's story in 2 Samuel chapter 15, 16, and 17. And I'm not going to read the entire chapter, the entire section today. But you need to remember that name this morning. So trusted and close to the goings-ons of the kingdom was Ahithophel that the scripture says this about him, that the counsel of this man, Ahithophel, who was David's counselor in those days, was as if a man had inquired of the oracles of God. It was like hearing something from the Lord when you heard from Ahithophel. That's how trusted, that's how close, that's how divine, that's how spot on the words that Ahithophel and the counsel and the suggestion and the advice and the guidance that he would give was in those days. And so it was that David was betrayed by a close friend, Ahithophel. It stirred some of the deepest and strongest emotions. And you don't have to be thinking in your mind or in your life right now of a betrayal from a close friend to know what some of these particular emotions and these feelings are like. It wasn't just annoyance or nuisance. You can read the psalm for yourself, And you can see that the words that David is using and the language that he's putting into action aren't the words of somebody who is merely annoyed or perturbed or someone that has a nuisance in their life. But it's someone that is feeling anguish. It's intense. He is beside himself. It's visceral. It's a blend of anger and fury and despair and pain all wrapped up into one package. Look at the words with me of the psalm. I'm just going to pluck a few of the lines from the song that we read together. David says, I'm restless in my complaint. I moan noisily. My heart is severely pained within me. The terrors of death have come to me. Fearfulness, trembling, horror, overwhelmed. I want to fly away. I want to check out. I want to wander off. It's not just betrayal that can bring you to the place where you experience those kinds of things in life. It can be financial turmoil. It can be a health condition. It can be your relationships with loved ones. 
It can even be sin that's embedded in your life and needs to be addressed that can bring you to the place where ordinary words aren't even doing the trick anymore. But it's a place of anguish and it's a place of despair. You might even get angry at God. You might even get angry at yourself. You might even get angry at the world. You might experience the kinds of things that it's difficult to put into words. Has anybody been there? I know that that's the truth because many of us in the room have been to that place. But I can also tell you this, that the scripture promises a comforter, a comforter. John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking with his disciples and telling them about some of the trouble that they're going to encounter and the trials that they're going to endure. And no doubt, without him saying it, he's got in mind these feelings that we're talking about today, these ones that the psalmist was desperately trying to put into words. Jesus knew that the trials and the tribulations and the life that his disciples were going to experience was going to be accompanied by some of these distressing feelings, these emotions, this roller coaster of life. And Jesus promised them before he ascended, he said, I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send a helper to you who will abide with you forever. People may forsake you and forget about you, but God never will. That's why it's so important that comforter is the Holy Ghost. And that's why it is so important that you be filled with the Spirit of God. It's not just about salvation, even though I believe with every fiber of my being that if you're going to be saved and make heaven, that you need to experience an infilling of God's spirit in your life. But it's also about being victorious in this life. We need a comforter. We need a helper. When everybody else forsakes us and looks the other way, when nobody else has the words to comfort us and to help us through the circumstance that we're dealing with, we need a supernatural comforter. We need a helper. We need God in our life. We need a divine intervention to take place. And the scriptures say that we have access to that in the Holy Ghost. And if you haven't been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, or maybe you have been, but lately you haven't been walking in the Spirit and living in the Spirit before you leave the building today, it's an experience that you can have and that you must have if you're going to be saved, but even if you're going to walk through this life victorious. It's for you. Jesus said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I have given you, that I've told you. Sometimes we need that. Whenever we're down in that place where words aren't doing the trick and we're just moaning and groaning and there's not even words that we can put to what we're going through, Brother Riley, we need that Comforter, Because it's that comforter that brings to remembrance every promise. It's that comforter who brings to remembrance the, the miracles that God's done in your life last year, last decade. It's God that brings to remembrance. It's the Holy Ghost that starts to quicken that faith. In your life, whenever you feel like, Sister Kaylin, I don't have any faith. My faith is feeling low today. I'm feeling beat down. I'm feeling like I don't have access. I'm feeling like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. It's the Holy Ghost that will quicken you. And God says it will bring to remembrance those things that he's told you before. It's what we need. It's what we need. It's what we need. We need it more than ever. 
We need it more than we've ever needed it. It's easy to read this psalm and to see the theme of betrayal. It just happens to be betrayal for David. I'm not making light of betrayal, but for him it happens to be betrayal. I've said already that it could be financial turmoil. It could be a health condition. It could be sin. It could be anything. But for David in this particular window that we're looking into, it's betrayal by a close friend. And it's easy to look at this and to have a lot of pity for David because we see the pain that he's in and we see the backdrop. There's always a story. Every one of these songs, every one of these psalms has a story. There's always a story. And it's not lost on me and it's not lost on anybody in here that if you're here today and you're needing deliverance, if you need God to intervene in anything in your life whatsoever, we recognize there's a story. It's not like you just parachuted in today and you've got a problem, but there's a story that goes with it. There's a backdrop to it. And it's easy to look at this particular story, this song that David is writing and relaying to us all these years later, and to have a lot of pity for David, and certainly we do. Certainly we can feel the angst and the anguish behind his words. But it's easy to look at it and look at it in only one dimension. To only look at it as a piece of poetry. As just something that stands alone all by itself. And there's always a story. There's always a backdrop. It's easy to look at a psalm like this and just think that David is just the innocent victim of somebody's out-of-control political ambition. And certainly that's an element, that is a dimension of it. But we would be flattening the story out if we looked at it in only that way. There's different dimensions to this, and I want to invite you into the story because the story of the psalm actually begins years before. Years before. There was a time when kings go out to war, and David stayed at home. And while David stayed at home during that season, he was... Outside one day, and he saw with his eyes a woman bathing on a nearby rooftop. She was bathing. I don't know if she was completely without any clothes on or if she was just, I, I don't know. The scripture doesn't give all of those kind of details, but David looked on her in that situation, and he wanted her. He desired her. He lusted after her. He wasn't where he should have been to begin with. And now he's in this place that he never should have been in the first place. And he's witnessing things that he shouldn't even be seeing. And he looks twice. That's the, that's the key. There's some things in life we just come into contact. But when you look twice, that's when the foothold is gained. David looks and he beholds a woman named Bathsheba. And he desires her. And he wants to be with her. And so he uses his royal powers of influence and he makes sure that she is brought to him. And they have sexual relations and she becomes pregnant. This is another man's wife. This is not David's wife. And when it becomes obvious that she is with child, David is alarmed and begins to panic. And he calls for the wife or for the husband of this woman to be brought back to Jerusalem off of the front lines of battle. And the man's name is Uriah. And Uriah comes into the city. Uriah 
has an audience with the king, and David is trying to get Uriah to go and be with his wife for a couple days so that it might cover up the fact that David's been with her and so that his sin might be covered up. And Uriah has this such a strong sense of duty to his service in the military that while his fellow soldiers are in the field risking their lives, he's not dare going to go home and relax, even if the king tries to compel him to do so. And so David sends Uriah to his house, but Uriah won't go in. Uriah's sleeping out on the sidewalk. He ain't doing it. He's not going to do it. It, it, is, it is a breach of what he considers to be his honor to do so. And so David has to pivot, and he makes a different decision. And he says, Joab, who was the commander of his army, says, Joab, I want you to send Uriah to the front lines. I want you to send him right into the heat of the battle. And now David has another motive. He has another plan in place. He's going to have Uriah simply killed. He's going to position Uriah in the most intense part of the battle to see to it that Uriah is destroyed and his sin is covered that way. And that's exactly what David does. There's something missing in this 55th Psalm that we read together this morning. David never, in Psalm 55, at least as far as I can tell, David never expresses a sense of wonder as to why the events that he's describing are taking place. He doesn't ask, why, God? It's, it's curious to me that he never does that, that he's in this deep place, that he's using these words, that there's such, a, there's such evidence of the emotions and the place that David is in, that he never asks why. And to me, there seems to be that there can only be two reasons for why David never expresses that, because he's putting everything else out there on the table. But he never gets to that place where he, he calls out to God and says, I just don't understand why all of this is happening the way it is. And I think there's one of two reasons that has to be at play. Either number one, he knew why, or number two, it didn't matter anyways. Sometimes we need a turnaround in our life, and we need the miraculous in our life. We need an intervention of God in our life, and we don't even know why we are in the place that we're at. We don't know why it happened. I don't have an answer for why this calamity occurred. I don't have an answer for why this condition is the way that it is. But sometimes we need an intervention, even though we can't get down to the why of what is even going on. How did this even come to pass? David's in that place where he doesn't even ask why. And, and, and when you're in that place, understand me this morning, just because you don't have a, a, a fully formed explanation for why it happened, it doesn't make the suffering or the pain less intense or real. Sometimes having the why, sometimes knowing why and how everything's taking place, sometimes that doesn't even make you feel any better, right? It doesn't necessarily make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. It doesn't necessarily change the circumstance or alter the outcome somehow. But the invitation stands today that whether you are aware of a why, whether you can put your finger on a chain of events that brought you to the place that you're at in this moment today, or whether you have no idea why what's going on in your life is taking place, you have a burden bearer. You have a burden bearer bearer. You don't have to bear that burden alone. 
you have a burden bearer today. It wasn't very long that David was going on with his life because he thought he had covered up this sin with Bathsheba. And he's going on about his life, and he's feeling pretty comfortable about things. He's feeling pretty secure. Everything's under control. And the man of God in his life, a man named Nathan, a prophet of God, comes to him and requests an audience with the king, and David grants it. And Nathan comes in and tells King David a story. And it would turn out to be a parable, and he would tell David this story about a man who had one little ewe lamb. And this other man who had many possessions. And the man who had many possessions took the one ewe lamb of this other individual. And it was a great injustice. It's obvious that it was a great injustice. It, it, it takes very small amount of wisdom to see that. And King David is presented with this hypothetical situation. And Nathan asks, what would you do in this situation? And King David says, well, I would grant justice to the man who had the one ewe lamb that had it taken from him. The other man who took it deserves to die. He deserves to be severely punished. And it's at that moment that the prophet Nathan says, David, you are the man. You are the man. And it's at that point in time that David knows that the sin, the thing in his life that had caused him so much pain and so much insecurity that he thought had been covered up. He knew that it was out in the open. He knew that he had been exposed. He knew that the Spirit of God had come into his chambers to convict him because the man of God had come and given him a direct word that exposed. And so David is convicted of this sin, and David confesses that, yes, I did it. I did X, Y, and Z, and he tells the whole story, and he says, I'm confessing before you and before God and before everybody that I'm accountable to that I made a mistake, that this was wrong, and that I tried to cover it up and hide it, and now it's out here in the open. I was wrong when I did it. I was wrong when I tried to hide it, and I'm wrong right now, and I need forgiveness, and he repents of his sin, and he tries to do everything that he can to make it right. And David is restored. When you have a burden bearer, you can experience that. I know I'm talking right now to a group of real people. And we live real lives. And we have real things that happen. Maybe it's sin. Maybe I'll go through the list again. Maybe it's financial turmoil. Maybe it's a habit in your life that needs to be broken. Maybe it's a relationship in your life that seems like it's coming apart and it needs to be healed. Maybe it's mistakes that you've made that you can't seem to move past. Maybe it's something that is completely out of your control and you don't have an answer for why it happened. You didn't cause it. You didn't bring it on. You don't know where it came from. But it's plaguing your life. Whatever category it is in today. If you will look to the Lord and trust in him, you don't have to bear that burden alone. We have a burden bearer. The burden bearer is in the house today. He's in the house today, and he's willing to lift any weight. There's nothing too big for him. There's nothing so small that he won't take notice of. There's no health condition that he can't heal. There's no financial turmoil that he can't provide for you. There's no sin that he won't forgive. He's in the house. The sin forgiver is in the house. The deliverer 
over today. We have an accuser who's working against us. I ministered about it on Wednesday night for a little while. He's working against us. We call him our adversary. He's working against us. He's trying to speak words of doubt and confusion. He's trying to speak words of complacency and lukewarmness. He's trying to speak words that you can hide it and you can hide that thing. You can conceal that thing. You can keep it under control. You can make it work. You can do this, that, and the other. And every word that he says is a lie because the scripture says that he's a liar and the father of all lies. He is your adversary. He is your accuser. But thank God that we not only have a comforter, but we have an advocate. We have one who doesn't stand in accusation and condemnation of you when you are using those words that you don't ordinarily ordinarily use. He's an advocate for you. And in the courtroom of heaven, he doesn't have his finger pointed at you, but he's standing between you and the judgment. He is your advocate. And the Apostle John wrote this. He says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself, he him, he's not outsourcing it. He didn't delegate it out. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. He's the one who pays the price and bears the penalty of our mistakes, of our brokenness, of our anguish, of our pain, no matter where it came from. If I caused it or if it just came out of the clear blue and landed at my doorstep, I need a burden bearer. I need a comforter. I need an advocate. I need all the help I can get because I might feel secure today, but I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what the man of God is going to come and what the Holy Ghost is going to reveal to me in my life that I thought I had buried, that I thought I had concealed, that I thought I had under control. Today may be fine, but tomorrow's a different story. I need an advocate. I need an advocate. The scripture says that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. How's he described? The righteous. The righteous. None of us are righteous. No, not one, the scriptures say. None of us are righteous on our own account. On our own merit, we don't measure up. Not a single one of us. But Jesus Christ, our advocate, he's righteous. And the psalm, David knew something. He says, God will never permit the righteous to be moved. Isn't that what he says? Psalm 55. Cast your burdens on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Now, how does that work? If he's, Sister Tammy, if he's never going to allow the righteous to be moved and I'm not righteous, what chance do I have on my own? You can do math. Zero. Zero. If I'm not righteous and he's not permitting the righteous to be moved, well, that means... There's some things that can move me. There's some things that can sweep me away. There's some things that can overwhelm me and overcome me potentially because life is difficult. And sometimes I make a mess of things directly and sometimes indirectly something just comes out of the sky on me and I don't know 
Anyone know what I'm speaking about today? How do I get in that category? The righteous. And the only way that we can get in that category of having an unmovable existence in this world, of being righteous, is to have the righteousness of our advocate Jesus applied to our life. How does that happen? I'm glad you asked. Glad you asked. How do I get that righteousness applied to my life? The New Testament gives us a simple plan. So simple, it's for everybody, anybody. And it's a promise that it works every time. They asked him on the day of Pentecost. And he replied, he said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. When you're baptized in the name of Jesus, there's an identity change that takes place. I know, I'm, I know we're out there right now, but stick with me. This is a revelation for somebody right now. There's an identity change that takes place. That's why it's important to be baptized in the name of Jesus. That's the name of our advocate. He's the righteous one. He's the one that I want to identify with. He's the only way that I get in that category of one who can't be moved. I need that. When we walk through life, there's landmines and there's pitfalls and there's things that come out of nowhere and there's situations that one week everything's good and the next week we don't know which way is up and, and, and there's some stuff that's self-inflicted that comes back upon us and there's some stuff that's completely out of my control that just happens anyways because sometimes life just happens and I'm not making light of it, but that's the facts. And in those moments, you want to know what peace is? Peace is knowing that you have been identified with that one who is your advocate so that you too can claim the promise that David is talking about that he will never permit the righteous to be moved. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Let's lift up our hands all over this place right now because there's a revelation in the house right now. There's revelation in the house. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray for a spirit of revelation to stir us right now. Lord, there's, no, there, there's nothing greater, God, than the name of Jesus. There's no power in heaven or in hell that can stand against that name that's higher than every other name, the name of Jesus, the name of the one who is our advocate, the name of the one who is my righteousness. Oh, oh, he's the burden bearer. He's the burden bearer. He's the burden bearer. He's the burden bearer. He's the sin forgiver. He's the problem solver. And he becomes your advocate when you're born again of the water and of the spirit. Psalm 55 says this. David says, it's not an enemy. It's not an enemy that reproaches me. Because if it was, then I could bear it. It's not one who hates me or who has exalted himself against me, because then I could hide from him. But he's speaking to the one who has betrayed him, and he says, but it was you, a man, my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. We walked to the house of God in the multitude. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. I asked you to remember a name earlier. 
It's the name Ahithophel. Ahithophel was a Gilanite. He was from a town called Gilan. Gilan. He was a Gilanite. He was the one who counseled David. He was David's chief counselor. If you've ever read the story of David, you know that there was points in David's life where it looked like all was lost. He faced tragedy. He faced things that... It's why we love David so much is because we can relate to so much of what happens in his life. David had a counselor and a friend named Ahithophel who was a member of his royal court. He was no doubt the one who counseled David in the aftermath of one of David's daughters being raped. Ahithophel was no doubt one of the ones who guided David during times of turmoil in his family. Ahithophel would have been the one that advised David on trade deals, diplomacy, domestic affairs, things of the kingdom. And together, the scripture says that they walked and they navigated the complex issues of their day. And at the first call of Absalom, as soon as Absalom sent for him, Ahithophel changed sides. David is fleeing from Jerusalem. He's fleeing from Jerusalem with the remnant of those who are still loyal to him. The scripture says in 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel that he crossed over the brook Kidron and he started to ascend the Mount of Olives. It was the same path that another king would one day take. Jesus would, about a thousand years later, trace these same steps across the Brook Kidron and up the Mount of Olives. David is being pursued, and he's headed out to the wilderness, the place that he was accustomed to in his younger years, the place he knows so well. And he's not knowing whether he's ever going to see the holy city of Jerusalem again. David is thinking, my story might be over. And he's taking the same route that Jesus would take. David crosses that brook and he starts to ascend that mountain. Scriptures say that he's got his head covered and that he's barefoot. And the whole territory around him, there's a lament, there's a cry that's going up. And there was weeping with a loud voice, the scripture says. David himself is weeping as he climbs the Mount of Olives. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 31 breaks in and says that as David is walking up that mountain, that a messenger comes to him. We don't know the name of the messenger, but one of the messengers comes to David and says, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. David's weeping intensifies. This is where he reaches the point where he doesn't have a lot of words left. He's moaning. There's a groaning. There's a cry that comes out. Because David doesn't have to ask why. Why is Absalom doing what he's doing? 
I don't really know the answer to that, David says. I don't know what his motives are. I might have made him king eventually anyways. Why now? Why does he feel like that he has to make this move? It must have puzzled David. But Ahithophel, David doesn't have to ask why because he knows. Why does Ahithophel feel this way? Why does he change sides? If you look in the genealogies that the Bible contains, you can make a very strong case, I believe, that Ahithophel is the grandfather of Bathsheba. The woman that David had saw on the rooftop. The woman that David had taken. The woman that David had basically turned her life upside down and ruined what she thought her story was going to be. He had her husband killed. He caused her a great deal of pain. And Ahithophel never forgot. He never got over what David did to her. David found himself in need of deliverance once again. Once again. We never outgrow our need for a deliverer. David was a seasoned king. He was a seasoned warrior. He knew how to survive. He knew how to thrive. But he never outgrew his need for a burden bearer. Would you stand with me across this room right now? You need a burden bearer today. And he is here. There is no burden too great. There is no sin too great that Jesus won't forgive it. There is no dysfunction that's so warped that he can't fix it. There is no addiction too strong that he can't break it. There's going to be two moves of the Holy Ghost today. I felt this in my spirit this morning. The first is going to be tied directly to that scripture, verse 22. Cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. You know what? David wanted to check out. He says as much. He says, I wish I could grow wings and just burst on out of here and never look back. Have you ever wanted to just run away? Maybe it's not that intense for you today, but you still resonate with what I'm talking about and what the Holy Ghost is ministering right now. Why don't we lift our hands all over this place right now and be sensitive to the Holy Ghost? Because now's not the time to check out. It's the time to press in. These altars are open right now, and I would, if you're a saint of God right now, if you're full of the Holy Ghost, why don't you make an approach towards these altars and towards the front of this building and create an atmosphere of faith and response right now because there's individuals in this room that desperately need to respond to this word from the Lord. They need a sustainer. They need a burden bearer. I don't know who you are. I don't necessarily know what you're dealing with. I don't know how intense it is for you right now. I don't know what category it fits in. I don't know if it's health. I don't know if it's finances. I don't know if it's salvation. I don't know if it's relationship. I don't know if it's none of those things and perhaps it's something else or a combination of all of it. But you need a burden bearer today and the burden bearer is in the house. You need to latch on to this promise of this psalm. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Cry out with a loud voice right now in prayer unto the Lord.